Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's time to rise and shine. We're going to get out there into the world that God so loves, and we're going to be shiny today. We're going to let our light so shine before others that, yep, even though they revile us, people won't be able to deny um, the the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of our lives, bearing witness uh, to the reality of who God is. Um, If you hear a little chorus in the background today, uh, Minnie is in my uh, my makeshift studio today, and and she's being a little noisy. So there you go. It's um, but it's Farm Report Friday, so uh, you know I could just go ahead and lead off with that. So I think I talked earlier this week about the uh, little <clears throat> kerfluffle that Minnie had with a coyote. She's um, she's healing beautifully, but she does require a whole lot more human attention. <laughs> than I'm used to giving. So there you go. Um, but yes, all, all is well. Fall is upon us. Um, love to connect with you today on the text line. It's always open 877-933-2484. So I had the occasion to spend some time listening to other people talking uh, yesterday on the radio and then in some podcasts because I had some driving time. And I heard an interview with Dr. Robert Sapolsky. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the likelihood of us having him on this show is very close to zero. So let me just, <laughs> and after I tell you what he talks about, then you're going to be like, ha ha, see, the whole point of not inviting somebody sometimes is to demonstrate that we have the free will to not invite them. So Dr. Sapolsky is a verifiable genius. Like according to the worldly measure of things, he's a legit genius. He's a professor of biology and neurology at Stanford University. He's the author of several books. And just days ago, his latest book was released. It's entitled Determined, A Science of Life Without Free Will. Determined, A Science of Life Without Free Will. So uh, it it is described as a book about decision-making, but actually it's a book about not making decisions. It's a book about fatalism. The gist of it is right there in the title, Determined. So this verifiable genius argues that you do not have free will because everything you do is determined by an an, an accidental mix of the primates who conceived you, your fetal experience, whether or not you were held and cared for as a child, your second grade teacher, the zip code where you were raised, and whether or not you went to church, um, what you heard and felt when you were there. I mean, on and on and on. It's all determinism. It's the things that have happened to you that make you not only who you are, but make you do everything you do. You literally have no free will, no choice in the matter. Now, I don't really know how this is going to be received by um, a a culture that is absolutely self-obsessed with choice and 
as if every every moment of every day is orchestrated by the the individual who understands themselves to be fully autonomous and under no authority at all. So this is sort of the autonomy um, conversation swinging completely in the other direction. So um, Sapolsky argues that what you do today is not your choice. You didn't actually make the choice to get up this morning. You didn't make the choice to listen to this um, program. Apparently, I did not make the choice. I felt like I made a choice this morning to get up. I remember having to decide. So anyway, he argues you have no free will. Um, He says free will is just a pleasant fantasy that we tell ourselves to create a society where some are punished and others are rewarded for what he says no one has any control over anyway. So by his logic, and he actually unpacks this in the book. By his logic, there is nothing that should be considered criminal and nothing that should be considered praiseworthy. Just, just, just think about it for just a moment. Nothing, and I mean nothing, is your responsibility. Nothing, and I mean nothing, is your fault. That's what he's arguing. So I actually would say this is a book more of philosophy and theology than it is a book of a biology and neuroscience, which, which which is what he argues. So the fact that you lied to gain some advantage, not your fault. Cheated on a test, not your fault. Stole a car, not your fault. Struck someone with your fist, not your fault. Um, you see where this is headed, right? If none of that is your fault because biology is driving the bus, um, then where would that leave us? Well, the logical conclusion is chaos, a world of angry chaos. It certainly would not be a world, quote unquote, quote, more highly evolving. The whole concept of, um, uh, of, of at least intellectual evolution that we would progress in our understanding of things and one another, that we would progress in our understanding of ourselves, that we would be able to hold our tongue, that we would be able to, um, Uh, bring ourselves into conformity with some norms or allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I mean, none of that makes any sense in a world where human beings are not human in that they have no free will. So Sapolsky's worldview does not allow for the possibility that you are anything other than your biology. It's as closed a system of scientism as I've run across lately. And that's why I'm lifting it up today. Because there's a worldview operating here. Um, and it, it, it's the latest in a culture-wide opportunity for us to engage as Christians and say, everything is not just stimulus and response. You are more than you bi- your biology. Yeah, you are your biology. That's important. Which, by the way, um, if you're a pro-life person, there is something for you in here. If you are a men are men, women are women person, like you actually think there is uh, some biological um, reality to men and women, male and female, um, well, there is something in here uh, related to that because he does talk a lot in this book about people's fetal experience. Well, if you have a fetal experience, then you um, uh, you are a person even before you are born. Uh, and he talks about you are who you were when your parents conceived you, which um, 
is biological reality. So there is something here for the culture conversations of the day. But the biggest thing that's here might be, and I'm just going to say it, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Oh, did she say that on air? I mean, let me just tell you, my friend, I have heard some dumb things in my life. But only someone who is really, really smart could be this dumb. If if you don't like the way that I phrase that, well, I'm sorry that it bothered you, but apparently I didn't have any choice, according to the person who wrote this. Now, I thought it, I typed it, I considered different word choices. I even thought about how it might fall on your ears this morning. But just a moment ago, according to Spolosky, I had no ability to restrain myself even from reading what I wrote after considering what he said. I had to do it. I had to say it. And you had to hear it. Does that make sense to you? Does any of that make sense to you? So his conclusion is this. If you could learn to embrace um, what he says, this scientific, undeniable biological reality, then we could learn to live out our thoroughly mammalian worldview. He contends the world would be more humane. I say humane, maybe, but far less human. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, I fell short of landing the plane uh, there in the opening. I never got to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which some of you have now noted. Um, And it is relevant to the conversation about free will. So Jesus, that we are still in the Sermon on the Mount, we are in chapter 6 of Matthew. We arrive today at verse 24. So the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, is Jesus saying that because it's determined that you are going to serve one or the other? Or does it sound like Jesus thinks we have a choice? It sure does sound like Jesus says you have a choice. You can, you are capable of, you can serve only one master because no one can serve, it's impossible to do so, two masters. So maybe the determinism here is that you you can't serve two masters. Well, that just is because we don't function well when our hearts and our, our minds are divided and our affections are divided. Like we are, we are designed to live um, as people who are unified, um, who are substantially whole, who are um, fully integrated. We're not meant to live as disintegrated people who are trying to serve one master over here and another master over here. We're, we're not intended to be people of a divided heart or a divided mind or a divided spirit, right? So, um, I mean, people are who are possessed of more than one spirit, that division of the person, um, I mean, we have diagnoses for such things. In scripture, it's just called possession, Okay, so you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters in your own mind. You cannot serve two masters in your own heart. You cannot serve two masters when it comes to your money, uh, which is where Jesus arrives in this um, in this particular verse. 
either you're going to love the one and hate the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and fill in the blank. You could put any word there you want. You could put the name of any person there you want. You could put any affection of the heart uh, that you want. You cannot serve both God and what fills in that blank uh, for you. What, what do you need to hear today and be reminded of today um, so that you can be seeking God with your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole spirit and pursuing his agenda with your whole life? Um, you do have a choice. Uh, a bit like the invitation in the Old Testament to choose this day whom you will serve. Uh, the choice is yours. As for me and my house, I'm, we choose the Lord. So the President of the United States gave an Oval Office speech last night, um, totally worth our attention and noting. One of the things that he uh, that he said during the speech very early on um, is calling on Israel not to be blinded by rage. That's a good, good reminder. We don't want to be blinded by rage, even as we pursue justice. Um, that's good counsel there. It, it came, it comes, it came last night and it comes today in the face of uh, a second week in a row where Hamas and others aligned with Hamas have called for a day of rage globally um, among Muslims. So Muslims have been called to a day of rage. Um, so there will be mass protests. There already are. And um, I think that Everybody's listening to one of these two voices. Well, maybe they're not listening to one of these two voices, but everybody is listening to one of two voices. Uh, the voice that is interested in justice and calls ultimately for peace and reconciliation, and another that just calls for rage, just calls for rage. Um, scripture warns us uh, on many occasions about uh, unbridled anger. Uh, about rage, about vengeance. And so let's be mindful that one of these is a good and godly calling, not to be consumed by rage, not to let rage overcome you or blind you, um, even as justice rolls down. And then another voice that is calling for a day of rage. And so the spirit behind the call is worth um, noting and listening to. Uh, on the heels of the president's speech last night, there will be uh, proposals sent from the White House to Congress for very large financial aid packages for both Ukraine and Israel. The president coupled those uh, two concerns last night in his speech, and I think you will see that going forward. The Israel-Hamas war has prompted warnings from the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI of heightened potential for violence. So the FBI warning comes uh, here in the United States, uh, and the concern is for lone wolf actors who will take that call for a day of rage, and they will um, act out in that rage. And then the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department have also issued worldwide warnings to Americans who are traveling abroad. Uh, bringing that into particular focus in relationship to Russia, there's already been for a, 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 a warning issued for a long period of time um, telling Americans not to travel to Russia um, because Russia is snatching people up, right, and then holding them as as hostages. Um, and so that has now happened again. You know Evan Gershkovich uh, arrested alleged uh, – 
for alleged spying. That's back in March. He is a journalist for the Wall Street Journal. Well, now a uh, a Russian-American journalist working for the U.S. government-funded media company um, in Russia has been charged with failing to register as a foreign agent. And so um, there is now this uh, this young woman who has been arrested and is being held uh, in Russia under these charges as well. Um, that, uh, on top of all of the concerns that the U.S. State Department and the Department of Homeland Security are raising just in terms of peace here at home and uh, and the threat to Americans traveling abroad. So here's my formula for this morning. Let us pray. Let us pursue God. Let us prepare in advance. Let us plant seeds of peace. Let us pose good questions. Let us persist in faith. And let us seek to persuade others. So we'll talk more about that in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. We're going to pray. We're going to pursue God. We're going to prepare in advance. We're going to plant seeds of peace. We're going to sow peace. That's the, but sow peace didn't, didn't have a P at the beginning. So I'm going to plant seeds of peace. We're going to pose good questions. We're going to ask more questions than we, uh, you know, right. Then we just get out there and offer people our opinion today. We're going to persist in faith and we're going to seek to persuade others. All right. So on the prayer front. Let's be hashtag praying the news this morning. So remember this, when you hear of a place or a people, when you hear of a person, when you hear of a need or a concern, lift it up before the Lord. Let your first thought be a thought of prayer. Pray, pray without ceasing. Pray continually in all circumstances. Um, Pray ardently, pray in faith and by faith. Pray for um, people, for their lives to be preserved, for the innocent to be protected. Pray. Pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Pray. Pray as if it all depends on God. And pursue him. Pursue him today. Pursue him with a whole heart. Pursue him with an unbridled affection. What does it look like for you to pursue God today? I want you to think about the last thing that you pursued in life, like genuinely pursued. Maybe you pursued a degree. Maybe you pursued a person. Maybe you um, pursued a particular achievement or a goal. Is God, like, are you in hot pursuit of God? Are you pursuing God today? Preparing in advance um, is, is both an emotional and a spiritual, a physical uh, a, a relational, like uh, preparing in advance. So some of that is like putting on the full armor of God. Some of that is saturating your life in the word of God so that when you get squeezed, because the world squeezes us, what will come out will be grace and truth. So how are you preparing in advance for what you know is coming today and for that which you do not know is coming today? So preparation is key and we prepare ourselves 
in quiet times with God. We prepare ourselves in the study of his word. We prepare ourselves um, in through the spiritual disciplines. So pray, pursue God, prepare in advance, and sow peace, which because sow peace doesn't start with a P, I'm going to stick plant seeds in here. Remember what we're cultivating. So remember that we are seeking to cultivate the culture where God has uh, ordained that we should live. So what are you sowing today in your conversations? What are you what are you scattering about as you walk in the world that God so loves? You're you're planting something. You're planting thoughts, you're planting ideas, you're planting um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, uh, self-control, or you're planting something else. So what are you planting today? And then what kinds of questions are you asking? Our tendency is to answer a lot of questions that other people are not asking. And so I want us to become better at asking questions. What, what do you mean by that? Tell me more. What, what leads you to believe that? Wow, that is um, not the way I understand things. Could you tell me how you arrived at that, um, at that conclusion? Um, what, tell me what you're doing and what motivates you to do it. What's leading you to stand here doing this thing at this moment on this day in this place? Like, Ask questions. Um, you might be surprised how much you can learn about another person and their worldview just by asking a question. So we're going to pray. We're going to pursue God. We're going to prepare in advance. We're going to plant seeds. We're going to pose questions. We're going to persist in faith. This is the no matter what. This is the no matter what encouragement for the morning. Life is full of challenges. (laughs) That is not big news today, is it? But it is an affirmation of reality. Life is full of challenges. Um, and it, it always has been, and it, it always will be in this life, in this time. And so what does it look like for us to persist in faith, to be people of faith in the midst of every challenge that comes our way? And then yes, seek to persuade others. Be persuasive in your speech today. Lean in. Um, seek people out uh, who clearly disagree with you. Seek to cultivate the mind of Christ, not only in your life, but seek to sow um, the way Jesus thinks about things into your conversations with others, that they might be persuaded. This is a ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're called to. We pursue other people in the same way that God pursued us in Christ. Why? Because God loves them. God knows everything about them, and God loves them, and God wants them. And he's given us the great commission that we would, as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom, be ministers of reconciliation, having experienced the reconciling love of God in Jesus Christ, that we would seek to persuade others. So pray, pursue God, prepare in advance, plant seeds, pose questions, persist in faith, and persuade others. That's my prescription for this Friday, October the 20th. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
Oh, I'm, no, I know. Yeah, Paul's now telling me, you're supposed to still be talking. So I, you know, I apologize. Sometimes I look at my little um, sheet of paper and I think, oh, I am done with this segment, but we're not actually done with this segment yet. So I did have one other thing to, to share here, um, but some of you are asking, hey, can I hear those peas again? So yes, here's my prescription for Friday. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I am Carmen LeBurge, and I might be a little tired, so I apologize. Uh, here's my prescription for this Friday. Pray, pursue God, prepare in advance, plant seeds, pose questions, persist in faith, persuade others. And, you know, and just go be human. There, that'll be, <laughs> like, in the best possible sense of that word, just go be human. Okay, I have one other thing. Some of you asked me to circle back around and make further comment on what the president of the United States said earlier this week in Israel. And so I just, I wrote two thoughts on that. And so I'm just going to share them quickly here. Um, The president said, uh, or one of the things, I guess I, I didn't know when you asked me to comment further on what he said, I didn't exactly know what he said that you wanted me to comment on. So I picked this part. Um, The president of the United States said, I come to Israel with a single message. You are not alone. Which first of all, is just this most incredible declaration of reality that, uh, you could spend all day talking uh, over with someone else just to say people feel alone, right? They feel abandoned, forsaken, but they're not. Like you are not alone. God loves you. God seeks you out. God came to save you. Like you are not alone. Now that's not what the president was talking about, but you could t- certainly uh, take that tack. All right. So then he went on to say, um, as long as the United States stands and we will stand forever, we will not uh, let you ever be alone. So um, I know what he's rhetorically trying to say there. I also can tell you that's a deeply theologically flawed statement. So I, I believe that what the president of the United States was seeking to say was, you know, as long as the United States stands and we're going to always stand with you, we're, we're never not going to stand with you. But what he said was, we will stand forever. Now, that is theologically inaccurate. I mean, just to be clear, just to be clear, the, the Bible is clear that no nation under God stands forever. None of them, including the United States of America. So in this timeline of biblical history, nations rise and fall. Um, even in the time frame that we know, one day there will be no more United States of America. There, it just, it, it just, it's not going to persist forever. It's not a forever and ever reality. One day... Time itself will be no more. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of, uh, of Christ has been established, but it is not yet fully on earth as it is in heaven. But one day it will be. Time as we know it will be replaced. And every kingdom, small k, under heaven will be replaced by the kingdom of our God. So again, to be fair, I, I know what the president was trying to communicate we're with you, we're for you, we're not going to abandon or forsake you. But what he said was rhetorically loose at best and theologically wrong at worst. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Hey, our friend Dan DeWitt is back. You can find what we're talking about at theolatte.com. Com. little mix of uh, theology and coffee this morning. Dan, good morning. Good morning. What's crack a lacking, Carmen? <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> I, 
I thought I was done uh, talking and then come to find out I had two more minutes. So there you go. And two minutes is long <laughs> on the radio if no one's saying anything. <laughs> it's an eternity. Uh, okay. Good morning. Happy Friday morning. <laughs> happy, happy Friday morning. Amen. Amen. Okay. The book of Colossians. Um, I want to talk with you about the book of Colossians and um, Methuselah, the icy moon and the origin of life, because that sounds fun. <laughs> yes. So I, I love the book of Colossians, and I like to describe it as a short letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to young believers who were living in a city where people thought they were crazy for believing what they believed. So and and after saying that, just to say, does that sound relevant for us today? Um, because, of course, that's exactly the kind of culture we live in, right? Yeah, I think that so, we and, – and I want to say this because I I wonder um, – I, this is a little bit of like, do you ever wonder what people are saying behind your back? Because to our faces <laughs> today, not everybody is saying you Christians are crazy. But clearly yeah. they're saying it behind our backs. And so I wonder if it was a, a little more just sort of like out there in the public discourse um, in in Colossae because it was so new. Like, hey, there's that newfangled thing going on. Those people are crazy because now it's like an old fangled. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I'm sh that was certainly the case. Like this was such a radical departure from Judaism, which, of course, you know, for Rome, Judaism was not accepted acceptable either, but you kind of had to, you had to, you had to learn to coexist. And um, with Christianity, it, it was, it seemed absurd to them. And then there was also these misrepresentations, you know, Christians are cannibals. They're actually eating flesh and drinking blood as a part of their worship services. So I do think that was part of it. Um, but there's so much that we could see in this in this short letter to young believers about how do you live in a world where people think you're nuts? And how do you keep from not thinking you're crazy too? In fact, I have a link to Sam Albury and Ray Ortland's book, um, You're Not Crazy, which is not necessarily about this topic, but um, it's not unrelated either. So when I read through Colossians and think about it from that standpoint, this is um, a new thing that God is doing. Um, Christianity is changing the world and people don't what to make it, know what to make of it yet. And so believers are surrounded by temptations to believe other things in order to satisfy their neighbors, in order to um, make their relatives feel more comfortable, in order to not be persecuted, in order to live even. And so Paul gives them this, what I describe as a prayer. Um, it's in Colossians 2, the opening verses. And I think about it all the time, and it relates to this article I link to, because in it, Paul says that he's praying for them, that they, their faith would not be diluted by plausible arguments. And there's so much in that statement, um, that their faith would not be diluted. What are the ways our faith is being diluted today? Um, and what are the plausible arguments in our day? And so the article I link to is an article in Ion Magazine, and it's it just came out a couple weeks ago. And the article, whose name is Balaz Braddock. Um, gives an overview of a theory that he finds to be very, very um, helpful and possible in our day today, which is the the idea that life did not come from some kind of intelligent, all-powerful God. Of course, if there is a God like that, we're morally accountable to him. So it makes sense why some people wouldn't want to believe in such a God. Um, 
In fact, we we all can relate to that in different ways. So what's another theory? What's a plausible theory to make sense of it? And it's aliens. We came from aliens. And so the theory is known as panspermia. And that is not a word you probably thought you'd hear on the radio this morning, uh, but it's the view that everything is the result of seeds of intelligence that were sent here, not from God, but sent from aliens. And if you think that's a crazy view that only crazy people who go to Comic-Con conferences, I don't know why I said that. You could you could go to Comic-Con and not be crazy, but, but this sounds like a comic world kind of thing. If you think it's only people who are like neck deep in pop culture would find this interesting. You should know Francis Crick, um, who is the co-discoverer of the structure of DNA, was one of the champions for this theory. And so Paul says, I don't want you to hear these kind of plausible arguments and have your faith diluted. So I talk about that theory and I come back to Paul's prayer. And Paul says, look, even though you're surrounded by people who think you're nuts, even though you're surrounded by plausible arguments of persuasive or deceptive philosophy, I thank God that your faith is strong and abounding in thanksgiving, which is a reminder our faith can flourish anywhere. So um, Avi Loeb is uh, is a Harvard professor who whose work and uh, you should check out because yeah. he he's like the maybe you already know about him, but he's um, for people who are listening right now. He's the guy who. Um, I mean, he's kind of now the world's leading alien hunter, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, and he is, you know, been collecting um, astronomical evidence, you know, that has landed here upon the Earth in, in the form of, of asteroids and pieces and particles. And in in his book, apparently, he he actually makes the argument that you're making. And he even uses yeah. like Bible passages um, to say, you know, this is uh, this is not what's happening in these in these verses. These people saw aliens, and that's why they thought they couldn't explain what they were seeing. Very interesting. And, um, you know, I, I think anytime I like to tell my students, anytime you hear a take on the Bible that's entirely novel, not just like you haven't heard it before, but like no one in the history of the church would recognize this as being a right. faithful way to read the text. You always need to be like, you know, danger, danger, red alert, red alert that, you know, if no other Christian or no other person has seen that in the Bible, it's probably not the case. Now, I would agree there's things going on. I mean, I think the Apostle John, inspired by the Spirit in writing Revelation, is describing things in terms his audience understood, but he's describing things that it, they really don't have categories for. Um, but that doesn't mean it's aliens. It's talking right. about the end of all things, right? So, um, but this this view of panspermia shows up in pop culture all the time, all the time. Really? And um, yeah. And so, you know, you think about um, Nicolas Cage had a movie several years ago called Knowing. And uh, the, the movie ends up being that there are aliens communicating with Earth because Earth is going to end and they are going to take, um, they're going to take some humans and start a new civilization. And so the movie ends with, uh, these UFOs landing and taking a couple children. One of them was Nicolas Cage's child. And the last scene of the movie are these two kids walking off through on a new planet through wheat fields holding rabbits. And um, and as as you know, kind of bizarre as that sounds, that goes back to this view Francis Crick held that ultimately it's aliens who are responsible for life. Now we need to think about a couple things. One, um, 
in terms of a biblical worldview, there's nothing in the Bible, whether it's a Harvard professor or someone else who tries to make that case. There's just nothing in the the Bible that would be best explained as references to um, aliens who are the process of natural evolution somewhere else in the universe, which is what is at the heart of panspermia. But second, um, we really don't have evidence that there is such a thing as aliens that we could actually, I mean, the article I point to, they find water on a moon of Methuselah and the next step is panspermia. And so the, the leap there is a non sequitur, right? But then finally, even if there were proof of aliens, that we still have to answer the question, where did they come from? And so this poses itself as answering more than it can. Yeah, I mean, if, if there are aliens, then um, God made them. I mean, yeah. I, it's just that simple. I mean, yeah. So uh, it does come down to... Um, what you are willing to put your faith in because as you point out if you're going to put your faith in the idea that all life on earth um, was spawned by uh, the arrival of some matter or beings from elsewhere in the universe you still have to I mean first of all that's a tremendous leap of faith right you're putting that is a lot of faith that probably takes more faith to believe that than to believe that there is a god and he is uh, the prime mover and creator of all things, even aliens, if they exist. That is absolutely right. And C.S. Lewis wrote about this. I have to get a Lewis reference in. Read absolutely. his um, his cosmic trilogy. Is is and he wrote a bunch of essays. What if we do find aliens? But I would say to give a very quick, if I can, pointed response to something you said. Tim Keller speaking at Google a long time ago about his best-selling book, The Reason for God said the pathway that could lead to faith from skepticism could have three rungs to that ladder. The first is a recognition that atheism requires at least as much faith as Christianity. The second rung, which is what we're talking about here, this is a faith commitment. It would only be plausible to you if you accept that there's no God and there's nothing but matter or energy. But the second rung of the ladder, Keller said, is a recognition that atheism actually requires more faith because it explains less. And the final rung of the ladder, Keller said, is it takes a commitment to know God. Reason can take you so far. It could take you the point to recognize that the Christian way of explaining things requires less faith and explains more, but you have to commit yourself to this God to know him. Reason can't take you all the way. It could take you really far, but to use R.C. Sproul's definition of faith, faith is well-reasoned trust. You have to get to the point where you trust this God who's the creator of all things. Mm, so good. So good. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I would like for you to tell us the tale of an owl, an angel, and a tummy ache. <laughs> we're talking we're talking, we're talking. with Dan DeWitt. Uh, we're talking about some wonderful things he has posted right now at uh, theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
Hey, hey, good morning again. It's Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Dan DeWitt is here. He's a senior fellow at Southwest Baptist University, and he blogs at theolatte.com. That is where we are this morning for a tale of an owl, an angel, and a tummy ache. Oh, Dan, do tell. Well, so I've taken a, a new um, role with an area church. It's my wife's home church. It's an hour from us, and it's Fairfield West Baptist Church in, uh, that's in Fairfield. It's outside Cincinnati, and I'm a part of their teaching rotation. So we're members at our church, which is closer to our home. Um, but once a month, I travel there and uh, preach in the series that they're doing. And we're going through Acts right now. And so I was assigned Acts chapter 12. And as I was reading through it and looking at resources, I discovered that there is a non-Christian uh, first century uh, resource pointing to the book of Acts that tells almost the exact same story that Luke, who's the one who wrote Acts, records in Acts 12. And so Luke talks about a messenger and calls it an angel. Josephus, who was a Jewish first century historian, refers to the angel as an owl. And then the king, who we're going to talk about in a second, um, King Herod, who ends up dying as a result of the message, calls it a messenger. I think they're all talking about the same thing. So we have the mm-hmm. biblical account, and then we have this non-Christian at what we could say extra biblical, which just means a source outside of the Bible, this extra biblical source that tells almost the same thing. So Acts 12 begins with the the story of the only martyr whose death is described in scripture, and that is James. And so it begins with that. It ends with the death of a king who's robed in fine clothing, who takes glory to himself that belongs to God and dies. In the middle, it has Peter being imprisoned for one of his multiple imprisonments, and he has divine escape through an angel who shows up to him, but he's not the only one who gets visited by an angel. And so Luke records that Herod is also visited by an angel. So in Acts 12, 21 through 23, just a couple verses, Luke records, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not of man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And Luke says he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So you read that and it's like, well, this angel strikes him down and somehow uses worms. And in my mind, Paul might appreciate this. I've, I've images of from the movie and the the book prior to the movie, of course, of Dune of worms coming out of the ground and eating him. And so we don't really know what that means. Luke leaves it underdeveloped. Um, However, Josephus records the exact same event, and he says that the king puts on his clothes, it's all made out of silver, and it's so bright that when the sun's reflecting off of Herod's clothes, people are almost blinded, and they, they give glory to him that belongs to God. He receives it on himself, and then he looks up, and he sees an owl, and he says the owl is a messenger, which the word messenger is the same word for angel. He's a messenger of an ill fate. And uh, Herod then hunches over in pain, Josephus, this non-biblical writer says, he's taken inside and there's something inside of him that ends up killing him. He has a really bad tummy ache and he dies. And I think that that might be an extra biblical source to help us understand perhaps the worms that consumed him was some kind of internal um, Mm -hmm. infliction upon him. But nonetheless, here we have a a non-biblical writer giving us the exact same thing that we see in the Bible. 
Do we need that to believe the Bible? No. But when you find extra biblical sources that that completely um, corroborate what's going on in Scripture, I hope that you're encouraged by that. You don't have to find that for every Bible passage. But when you do find things like that, we're reminded, again, to come back to the definition of faith from R.C. Sproul, there's good reasons to believe what we believe. And to quote, as I quote in here, um, a Nobel Prize winning archaeologist, Nelson Gluack, once said, um, he was featured on the cover of Time magazine years ago, Gluack was. He said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. There's good reason to believe what we believe. And in this case, Joe or Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, records a, the exact same thing Luke records and perhaps even gives us a detail that we we need a little help understanding what the worms are. So there you go. That is the tale of an owl, an angel, and a tummy ache. And because I'm here to serve, I have an additional uh, extra biblical um, support for you from the National Institutes of Health. Do you want to hear Is it? it a worm story? It's a worm story about this story. Oh, so the National really? Institutes of Health has posted on their website the medical explanation for the death of Herod. A parasitism caused by Schizosoma hemotobian, which some science person is going to tell me I didn't pronounce right, suggested as the yeah. etiology for chronic renal failure, also known as edema, uh, a, quote, gangrene of genitalia that engendered worms, in the words of Josephus. Wow. So for you on the National Institutes of Health determination about the death of Herod the Great. That is really interesting. And you know, I know. You know I'm that just really here to serve, come... man. I'm just, I'm just, this is all I'm here to do. I'm just, I'm here to serve. Yes, he had worms. Carmen LeBurge like breaking it down on this Friday morning. Disgusting worms. Ugh. All right. Um, well, I love you... that. I, I just, don't you, I mean, God's going to get his witness. God's going to get his glory. It has often, I have often wondered, like, of all the things that all the people must have seen, that are recorded in scripture, other people must have told these tales and told these stories. And so the fact that they're recorded in Absolutely. other places should not surprise us. Yeah. And sure. two, it highlights, if I may, just for a quick moment, for a hot second, it highlights that God works, when God works in the world, you know, on the one hand, we could say, well, the worms did it. He died of natural causes. On the other hand, we could say, no, God sent a messenger to tell him that this is what's going to happen. So you have both a natural explanation like the article you pointed to, as a Christian, we're not denying that there's some a natural um, cause, but that we would say behind that natural cause is God's cause. And of course, you were talking about free will earlier. How do we completely understand that? Well, there's a tension and a mystery behind it all, but we have both God at work and we also have a natural explanation. The two are not in conflict, um, but it, at times, even Josephus, a non-Christian writer, <clears throat> can, can aid us and making sense of things, even an article on the National Institutes of Health can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Right? No, there's there there is opportunity for theological conversation everywhere today. Dan, yeah. as always, thank you so much. Um, that's Dan Dewitt. You can find what we talked about and the tale of the owl, the angel, and the tummy ache at theolatte. Dot com. We got another hour together here this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Adam Holtz will be here with some media headlines. And then Karen Ellis is going to bring us some wisdom and shalom. Do you need some wisdom and shalom today? I do. Um, we need some peace today. The peace that passes all understanding. And 
Uh, I'm just I'm just very mindful that people don't need another piece of our mind today. They need the peace of the mind of Christ. And so let's be cultivating that and then let's be walking it out into the world that God so loves um, that Jesus might be honored. We got another hour together up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.